0: You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish
1: Chadwick.
0: I'm Scott. And I'm Hamish. And this week we've got a special guest, Paul Nielsen. Paul is an expert in, amongst other things, business sales, business valuations, and also cybersecurity. A fascinating man that I've known for many years. And so I wanted to lead in and help our viewer this week with... On the, well, really the subject of setting up a company. If you've got an invention or an idea, you often have to set up a company, obviously, to start trading. And I wanted to see what Paul, what, what sort of advice, Paul, you can offer to someone that's starting out. How do you set up a company in order to perhaps sell, it down the, uh, sell the idea or sell the company down the track? How do you go about doing that? What, what's your advice?
1: Well, hello, Scott and Hamish. Thanks for having me today. I guess when you're starting, you have an idea of an uh, invention or you have uh, some service that you want to offer and you want to take that to the commercial market which means you're going to get revenue in from that and the question is then how do you, how do you park that? You can either do that as a sole trader or you can form a private company. Really the best bet when you probably start out is and you don't know whether your invention is going to fly or not is to operate as a sole trader but at some point in time when you start to get a bit of traction you want to move into and and purchase a private company you can do that through your um, accountant they'll set it all up for you it means that you do have to abide by rules of companies whether you're BHP or whether you're a small private company the rules for companies are essentially the same, with the exception of obviously BHP and public companies have to have auditing requirements which private companies don't have to do. And one of the reasons why you do that fairly early on, even though economically it may not be the the thing to do um, and your accountant needs to give you advice on this is that if you want to sell your company at some stage, you may get to the point where the company grows, puts so much sweat equity into it that it's driving you crazy and you don't have any home life and and all the rest of it and you want to sell it, then you need to be in a position to be able to sell it. So what I tell people when they first set up their organisation is you need to have a plan going forward Along with all the other plans that you have in terms of revenue and business plan and all those sorts of things, you want to have an exit plan when you start and set things up that way because if you don't, when you get to the point where you need to sell or you want to sell, then it's much easier to do if you're already set up that way. Particularly if you want to sell to somebody who's in the same type of business. As you, or maybe in a someone from outside who doesn't know anything about your business. Very good point. If you don't i me stepping in there as. Sure. Just had a situation now, and and when
2: we first sit down and try and talk about starting a business, we really try and plan through and get people to think about what what the result of this project's going to be to them personally. And we have certainly found it. Even just recently, uh, one of my late, my, my um, mothers who are entrepreneurial only have a startup. It's just got overwhelming, and Fantastically profitable and innovative idea. She's got all the marketing knowledge and everything. She's got tired, and she's had to sort of, you know, get rid of it. And uh, yeah, it was never part of her plan, but now it's snuck up on her, and she hasn't been set up for it. Um, luckily, she was pretty organised, and it wasn't too bad. And she did get rid of it. But yeah, if she had have maybe had some plans in place to start with, it might have helped her. So, what what sort of things do you do? You, do you put in place
1: in order to get that sort of be set up to 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 exit out? well that's a interesting question <clears throat> there's really four things that you need to think about if you want to exit to get the best money for your business so if you get in the habit of doing them when you start off then it'll flow through to the business you can show up you know if it, let's say the business has run for 10 years and then you want to to exit you have that 10 years history and mm. you you know it's like cleaning your teeth in the morning it's something that you just get used to doing. The first thing is you need to have a business plan, a written business plan. Most business plans go from uh, for a three year period and they roll over every, every year. So it needs to be something that you're actively involved in writing that business plan. There are lots of um, software you can buy to do it yourself or you can engage someone to and do that for you. If you're a startup, I'd suggest you probably don't want to engage someone to do it because uh, that's going to cost you quite a bit of money. Um, but just have a look on the internet and you'll find plenty of programs to do that. That's the first thing. The second thing you need to have is a standard procedures manual. Standard procedures manual is this is how my business runs. Um, let's say you buy products from someone else, it's this is who I buy the products from. This is their telephone number. This is the person that I talk to. This is the price that we buy these products for. This is the lead time to get those products. Absolute detail into how your business works. If it's services, then the same same sort of thing. But a standard procedures manual, and, and you can, once again, go to the internet and find standard procedures manual, fill them out yourself. Just having those two things will get you anywhere between 20 and 40% more for the value of the business when you go to sell it. And the reason is quite simple. If I don't know anything out of your business and it is an innovative business and you've got something unique, all the knowledge is in your head. My biggest fear is not that I won't be able to run the business, but my biggest fear as a buyer would be that with all the knowledge in your head, when you exit the business, I'm gonna lose my money. So that's the biggest fear of buyers is, I'm going to lose my money. So they don't look at it from the point of view of, oh, this is exciting, this is good. They don't become emotionally involved. It's always, what is the threat of this? It's amazing so those,
2: how much the details you have. Even in a yeah. simple business, the, the amount of details you store in your brain yeah. It's incredible. And,
1: and the thing is, if you start it, when you start, you build this, this volume of... of uh, a business that means that if I don't know anything about your business, if I have the plan for the next three years written, and I have the standard procedures manual tells me how to how to execute that plan, I can step into your business with no knowledge of what you do, and run an effective business. Mm. Uh, the third thing really these days is uh, contacts management, customer CRM. Amish, what does that stand for? Customer Relationship Management. Correct. They are absolutely important. Years ago when I was uh, involved in other businesses, I was really anti them, particularly when I was employing salespeople because I didn't want them sitting around an office filling out forms and doing stuff like that instead of getting off their potpots and getting out there and, and, uh, and selling. Mm. And it was just a time waster for me. But these days I see the benefit of it, particularly when you're um, selling a business because it's got all the information, it's like the um, standard procedures manual, or can be part of the standard procedures manual, but it it makes your office almost, can be a paperless office. I have a client at the moment who I'm selling that's in the tourism industry. They have a CRM program and I've been amazed at what they can do with that. Um, so to the, from the point of view of when I look at their business and what they're doing, they have small revenue, but they have a CRM program that they've tailor-made for their industry. It's the only one of its kind. I've requested they get an innovative patent on that. Um, what we're actually selling in that business is not their income stream, is not the market they're in, but it's that CRM program. And I believe that I'll get probably three times what the value of that business is because of that CRM program, because it's so unique. So if you start that and you have the first three, and the fourth thing is cybersecurity, which I believe we're going to talk about a bit later. So I won't go into too much details, but Kevin Rudd said that climate change was the uh, biggest challenge of our generation. In business, the biggest challenge of our generation is cyber security, how to be secure. So we'll talk about that a little bit later. Okay, can I just
0: uh, just like to go back a step. When it comes to, we've touched on business plans, but how relevant is a business plan to the day-to-day operations of a company? Because often the people that Scott and I are working with uh, you know, you, you're working with new inventions, you're working with people that are discovering new markets, they're creating new markets, you could almost call it, they're not working to a strict day-to-day plan. Where they, I mean, I, I understand the procedures uh, policy document, that's very important, but when it comes to business planning, my experience is you're dealing with entrepreneurs who really, uh, to... Uh, the way to describe their their day could be organized chaos. I mean, they're moving with changes in markets, they're moving with what they learn every day, they're getting told what what their product is all about in terms of the the, the way the customer's using it. So what is the relevancy of a business plan and is there anything else you could maybe tell the listener about how they might construct one to make it useful?
1: Well, the first thing is if you don't have a business plan, you're really planning to fail. And I love your term, organized chaos, to me that boils down to just chaos and so what a business plan does is put the organisation back into it. It gives you something to go to go for and if nothing else it will make you think about the future and how I want my business um, to evolve. So it's really important that you, you have a business plan even if you're pinging from left to right. Um, people that don't have one and that's why you know, only 30% of, of uh, new startups succeed. Yeah. It's because they're not organized, they're we, not planning. We have
2: a very simple plan when we start off because we don't know what we're dealing with, uh, but we yeah. still have to have a plan. And so the first meeting is, you know, what you want out of the business. Um, and so we aim towards that, that goal. So, you know, it might be as simple as uncover all the issues, solve the problem, create a market-ready product. That's sort of my field and, and I'll have a plan for doing that. And their part of it is sit back and see what comes out of it. And then there's the, the next stage, which is then the commercialization part of it, which is then enacting the sales of all that, of what we come up with. So that becomes a bit more elaborate, but the initial part is like really just directing which way we're going to go and how we're going to solve the problem. And after that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's all about planning how to how fund that, how to how to execute it really, it's more procedures and task lists more than
1: anything well, in a business plan? It is really important. None of us know what life's going to throw up, throw at us. You know, you might be a mum that's starting up a business at home. Um, you've got kids. One of your kids get really sick and you just can't run the business. Then what are you going to do? Close it down. If you've got a plan, you've got something uh, then to sell or to pass on to someone else. Mm-hmm. So, and that happens all the way along the line. I see it with uh, well-established businesses that don't have a plan. And, um, you know, there's a health event. Uh, I had a patient, a regret, not a patient. I had a, I'm the patient surgeon's head on there for Uh, a second. Dr. Nielsen. (laughs) (laughs) I I had a uh, client who uh, was a professor of of, uh, skin surgery, if you like. And um, he had developed prostate cancer and had like five months to live and he had to sell his business, well, that didn't give us enough time to to really sell his business. If he had all these other things in place to repair it, it was a fairly large business. If we had all the things in place, then we could have done something with it, but it was just not possible. So when you start up, you've got to plan to how you would finish and you've got to think about moving ahead forward. Find, determine what your end goal is and then fill out the things in between and if it doesn't come to pass the way you do you need to adjust it that's why i say it's a three-year plan and a rolling plan Mm. so that But it'll make you think about it'll force you to think about the logic of what you're doing rather than the biggest danger is you fall in love with your product and nothing else matters yeah and that's just not good business yeah sure Mm.
0: No, no, thank, no, thanks, Paul. I, that, Paul. That's what I wanted to clarify. Was uh, just simply that I've, I've had, I've worked with people who, uh, in the early stages of developing a product or, or just a business in general, and they get very stressed because they download a template for a business plan and it asks them questions like what, you, what is your projected profit, what is your strengths, you know doing a SWOT analysis and they've got no idea. So I think really what we're hearing today is uh, get yourself some good advisors, get some advice and yes you can make a three-year plan but it's got to it, as your business changes and as you learn more uh, change it. So as Paul's just said it's a rolling plan but you've just got to work with it and change it as you go but you've always got to have an, an end goal in mind so I think that's a so that would be a good point you to make.
1: You can get simple business plans, and that's what I'd look for when you start out. Mm-hmm. But get something.
0: Mm.
1: Okay, great. Right. Can I um, ask, I mean, a lot of times we have sort of
2: stages of development. So someone comes through the door, and sometimes they have an invention. Not very often. Usually they have an idea. And, you know, occasionally they'll say, oh, look, I just want to get this, a patent on this idea and sell it. Um, or they might say, can you develop the idea into a, a market ready Product, and then we'll sell that with a patent, uh, or they or they might just say, um, can you just draw it up, so it'll work, and then we'll sell that, as, we'll paint it, and sell that patent. I find those very difficult times because there's a lot of unknowns. What you're selling is the potential of the idea, and generally, an idea might just be seeing a problem. I've got an idea to solve this problem that I have in my industry, but it's not a solution. So it's very hard to sell it. It's impossible to paint it. You have to have a solution. A patent IP is all based on an invention is a solution, not a not an idea. And then obviously we get to the point where we might have it market ready. So it's a working prototype and it's proven. It's solved all the. It's proof of principle. It's uh, solved a problem. It seems to be accepted by the market. Um, that that is and it has a paint with it. At that point, it's a little bit easier because you've actually got something tangible to sell. And then obviously at early stage sales. Um, it's a little bit difficult to project the potential of a companies because the sales figures aren't there when you're just a year into the market or whatever, people get sick or tired of doing what they're doing they want to get out of it um, are there any things any ideas around those sort of aspects do you think are, are possible and plausible or, or do you think there's a certain stage where you should start getting out or wait until you're at a certain stage or any any ideas in those in those fields
1: no I don't think there's a certain stage, really what you're talking about is selling opportunity cost. Exactly. Um, it, I did a lot of my um, training in the US and they focus very much on opportunity cost. In Australia we tend not to um, do that, we tend to work on here's what's happened, we'll buy it on that basis. Um, in my private practice we concentrate on opportunity cost. Opportunity and, and the, uh, the sale of those opportunities and we do that in mostly for larger uh, companies not so much for startups. but it still can be done if someone comes to you and says I've got an idea for a patent look at it this way if you have a uh, pen that writes in invisible ink and tastes like pineapple and people want to have a pen that does that and you've been selling it in into um, businesses in Australia. Um, what we would do with that idea and with that patent in, in the other countries is we would look for, internationally, people who, who were looking, who were in the business of selling pens and didn't have one that tasted like pineapple. So we would then say to them, because if, if you've been selling this business here and you might have, if you're a startup, you might have $500,000 turnover, but this company has distribution right throughout the rest of the world. So if they had your pin and owned your pin and sold that through the rest of the world, they would get uh, maybe seven, eight million turnover at the flick of a switch. So when we look at selling a business like that, we look at the opportunity costs. it's more important the way that we do things that uh, we look at what is the potential, what is the total market, worldwide for this, and then we for our clients we look for getting a piece of that action yeah. it 's up to them to to ex- execute but that's a different way of selling businesses which we're probably going to talk about later than than putting um, advertisement in a, on a business for sale website mm. and saying this is how much we want for it based on this is what the business has done it's a totally different way of thinking of things but with patents and things like that yes there is.
2: I've certainly approached um, even with one of, my, one of my own companies just investigators selling it um, before going to international market and you know you approach fairly reputable accounting companies that don't know what to do with it and it's probably maybe a different field a more specialized field perhaps you're you're saying what you well, do
1: well you know with um accountancy firms but basically
2: without sales they they don't know
1: what to do well you wouldn't really. go to a um, gp if you need to have brain surgery um and maybe, maybe just people i'm not aware
2: of what you offer obviously in that situation right so if you go yeah. to,
1: if you go to accountants they're um, good at doing accounting they're not in the market of selling business in. Any way, shape, form. In fact, it's against the law in most states of Australia for accountants. There are uh, in every state of Australia, you have to be a real estate agent or a regist- licensed real estate agent, which I am, to be able to sell businesses. Or you have to have a financial services license. Okay. So you know there are government restrictions to doing that. Some accountants uh, bend things a little bit, but. You're, they're going to look at the business from an accounting perspective not at the opportunity cost because that's not their field Yeah.
2: so you'd put projections together make like a little prospectus and go and
1: put it in front of relevant well, opportunities well um, we're getting in a murky well, area we're we to we, too specific well no because putting projections together is from a legal point of view for me is very fraught with danger mm-hmm, mm-hmm. although I am seeing a client this week that, that wants me to do that for their business and I probably will do it because their business is quite unique but once again we get in the legal aspect of it, there are laws under Australian consumer law that preclude you from doing that unless you really want to be sued badly yeah. from, from so the So in that situation period. how
2: do you put a figure like if you are going to take a, a technology startup and sell it, how do you derive a sales figure?
1: Guess right, well, um, we do a valuation on the business, yep. And but valuations are, are based upon um, the history of the business, the financial history of the business. There are two types of buyers there are strategic buyers and there are financial buyers. Financial buyers are, are like Hamish, if he wanted to buy your business, for example, and run it just the way it he was, he knows too much about it, he won't be interested. <laughs> You well, if he, let's say he was. Let's Come say he was bills. interested <laughs> in it. Then, uh, then uh, we would value it on the basis of a financial buy. So it's based on the financial history of it. Um, when we go to market with something like that, intellectual property, um, we value it based upon the what will it bring. For example, I had a, a client down in uh, I think it's. Mildura, around that, that area. He was a, a farmer and he grew um, citrus fruits, which he wanted to export to China. The problem with those citrus fruits is they only last for about three or four days and then they start to go off when you fly them to China. He had invented a cooling system that did not use gas to cool, it, cool the produce down, but it allowed that that fruit to to rapidly um, go down in in cooling, which gave it seven to fourteen day shelf life when it arrived. Mm. And it was the only type of it's the only um, type of machine like that in the world that we we were knew of. So we looked at there are many ways of doing that, but what we looked at was. What would it cost if you bought another machine who also cooled things down? They used a huge amount of gas. How much would the gas cost? It was quite detailed and we actually worked out a formula for um, what the benefit was to to having his machine as opposed to that when it gets to the other end. And we came up with uh, a value for that which was accepted by the bank. I think it was somewhere between one and one and a half million Um, for the uh, device so there are ways of going around it but it's based upon really what it will produce but in answer to your question with something like that uh, a patent, for example it's not up to me to decide what it's worth when you go to the market you just go to the market and hey we've got this we've got this patent because valuation is a range concept one person might say oh you know I need this for my business I'll give you 200,000 for it. You might have another person who's got a different set of uh, views and they'll say, I'll give you 2 million for it. It's a range concept. When I did my studies in the US, there was a a company called NUCO that we did many exercises on and so it was the same set of financials. At the end of it, when we were talking about valuation, there were 16 different valuations going from 1.2 million to 16.8 million for this same company. Depending on who wanted to buy it and what they were going to do with it when they they bought it, so it's a range concept. There's no.
2: So is your strategy more to find the the most valued c- customer for that company? Like if you go out there, you, you're you're probably putting a lot of research into finding a company that's most likely to want the technology and pay the most amount of money for it. Is that your strategy, or because it sounds it's, like it's hard to put a value on, so so actually finding the right suitor is maybe the the well, most in, in the sales
1: that I do, uh, they're strategic sales. They're not, not financial sales. We never advertise on business for sale websites. It's always by a strategic acquisition letter. We look at companies that are in the same business that we think would be interested to buy, and we approach them and say, hey, we've got this before we go to the market. Will you be interested in buying it? Yeah. Um, it's happened to me in the past where of those people we've contacted they're not but they have a subsidiary somewhere um, I sold a fairly large business to um, a company that was an English public listed company um, and they had a subsidiary in Australia who, and the owner of that was a mate of the person that we, we approached. so they come back it's all done confidentially um it's also very similar to the way we sell businesses to competitors. I mean that's yeah. important the confidentiality because if yeah, you've got a very important a product, uh,
2: you may not want any of your suppliers or service contracts to know about the sale because it could affect those. So the confidentiality is obviously something that you have to be considerate of. It's hard to go and put it on a on a business sales platform generally. Um, so at, at Avanti, I mean, I'm just trying to think from a startup's point of view, obviously big businesses, they've got big budgets, they've got time and people to do this sort of stuff. From from um, With Avanti, if if we've got a startup, we've got limited funds, limited uh, limited time to do things, is there is there opportunity or strategies that you use to help them to, obviously maybe some small, a little amount of advice at the beginning on how to set everything up so that their sales ready. And then are there other are opportunities for them to get involved with you guys uh, in an affordable way that allows them to sort of get the outcomes that a big corporate might, might achieve? Yeah,
1: we usually do uh, initial interview, we don't charge for initial interviews so that we can see whether we can help them or not. Um, after that we just charge them an hourly rate, it's yep. up to them if they, there's no set uh, it's an hourly rate that we charge they come to us, we sit down, we talk about things, it's, it's more or less a mentoring role, when we get into the other things like okay you want a written business valuation we charge fee for service for that if you then want to sell it, well, that's a different engagement um, then we have a, a value for that um, but the other advice is just on a more of a mentoring role on how to structure and how to, to um, do things so if if uh, anybody would like to contact me um then i'm happy to talk to them over the phone that doesn't cost them anything that sounds fantastic i know we're conscious of time
0: but hamish (laughs) i was going to say paul that's a (laughs) a hell of a hell of a (laughs) lot of information i think we'll revisit uh, some of that in uh, next week's podcast so i will be putting paul's contact details on our facebook page so if you want to head on over there you'll be able to get Paul's email and phone number and you can have a chat with him if you like and uh, yeah, thank you very much Paul no, Thank you Paul, that's a lot of very valuable information there it's very hard to find it elsewhere. Yeah. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick